0: But today we begin a brand new series called Entrusted. And I love it. And here's the whole thing that we're going to study over the month of November is this. It's this idea that life is a gift. And some of you are like, no, it's not. Life is a grind, Nate. You don't know what's going on in my life. And you know what? You're right. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I'd love to know. But here's what's incredible is this. As much as sometimes life is a grind, here's what we need to remember. Life is a gift. Life is a gift from God. And what we're going to look at over this series is this, there's this word that continues to appear in the New Testament, and it's this word entrusted, that God has entrusted things into our life. Today, we're going to talk about how he has entrusted our home to us, and we are to steward our home for the kingdom. Next week, we're going to talk about how God has entrusted us with gifts. You and I have been blessed with spiritual gifts. Then we're gonna have our mission weekend and God has entrusted us with the mission and then finally he's entrusted us with words. But today we're gonna talk about how he has entrusted you and I with our home and how we can steward our homes. Some of you are going, Nate, I don't have a home. I have an apartment. It counts, all right? Some of you are looking at me going, Nate, I'm a student. I live in my parents' basement. Here's the good news for you and I today. God says, I want to bring my kingdom right where you are right where you are. Today we have a special guest, his name is Jim Burns. He's the president of Homeward Ministries. Over 35 years ago, Jim left student ministry because as he was ministering to parents and to homes, God put a calling on his life to partner with parents, to invest in the church. And he's done that, not just here in America, but all over the world. On Friday, he was here pouring in on our marriage enrichment that we had. Saturday morning, he did some workshops. Uh, We're going to send out some notes on that. My wife, Ruthie, and I came to hear him uh, because he talked about parents and technology which there's not a parent who has a clue today, right, on that technology, right? It's like we buy it and then we don't know what to do with it, right? And we learn so much Saturday morning. Jim has a heart to help all of us steward our home. Uh, But before he comes and before he talks to us, I want to encourage you with this. It's not just for adults, but for you students in this room, for you young adults in this room, God is calling you to steward your life right where you are right now. And so before we kick off this sermon, we invited some of our Northside student ministries, some of our high school students here to talk about how they have been entrusted with their home and how they're stewarding it for the kingdom of God. Listen to their story right now.
1: Hi, my name is Kelsey and I work with students here at Northside. We're here with Brock and Lauren and today we're gonna be talking with them about how they live out their faith as students. So Brock, what are some of the challenges you face being a student and following Jesus in your life?
2: Well, I think the biggest thing is kind of how other people like perceive you or how you go about your life or how others, you know, look down on you. Because as a Christian, most people might think, you know, oh, we have our lives together. Oh, we have this, this, and this going for us. When in reality, God calls us to not, you know, don't try to figure it out on our own, but to rather call on Him. I think a lot of people see it as, oh no, you follow God because You've you've got it all figured out, you're better than me, I don't need to talk to you, and that's not the case at all. I think another big thing is how we compare to others. You know, you see it a lot on social media, but a big thing for me, at least, is comparing myself to other believers. Because I see all my other friends, I'm like, oh wow, they're doing really incredible things, and I'm kind of over here, you know, I find myself making mistakes, I find myself, you know, falling short of what they're doing but I need, to, I need to take my story and I need to own it more. I need to say, okay, this is me and this is what God had planned for me all along. And it's gonna be so different from what he has or what she has or what anyone else has. You know, It's very unique to me in my life.
1: All right, so what about you, Lauren? Same thing we talked about with Brock. What are some of your challenges in being a Christ follower as a student today? Yeah, so
3: one thing that I face in being a Christ follower is the time management aspect. I know that as students we have a lot of stuff on our plates and we have a lot of responsibilities that it can be hard to set aside time for God and that's one great aspect of NSM. We can kind of be still and focus on Jesus. And then another thing that I struggle with would be the concept of being perfect. I kind of set this expectation on myself that I'm not allowed to make mistakes and then I have to set a good example for fellow students and fellow high schoolers, middle schoolers. So what are some of the ways that the church helps you
1: live out your faith in this season?
3: Northside provides a great way for us to kind of set time aside to focus on God and just spend that time with Jesus. And I think the sermons, they really help me to understand the scriptures and. They talk about how we can apply them to our daily lives and to kind of combat those challenges that we face. And I love how after the sermons, we get to spend time with our small group. And I just am really grateful for the friendships that I've made. Whenever I'm struggling, I always know that I have a friend that I can kind of lean on and talk to my situations about.
2: Another thing I think it does, it provides time to connect with other believers. That we may not, you may look at your school and you say, oh, they're a Christian and they're a Christian, that may be it. But we come to church and we come to student ministry and we see, oh, everyone here shares this common this belief in god this love for god uh it provides scripture to help us go about the following week it tells us okay well this you know in this book of the bible this verse it says this and we can kind of look at that go into our small group talk and we can apply that as the day goes on so that we get somewhere We're like oh i talked about this on sunday and i can use this to maybe spread the gospel to someone else or i can use this to help me in whatever struggles or challenges that i'm dealing with
1: Well, thank you, Brock and Lauren, for taking your time to encourage us and share your perspectives with us. And as a church family, we just want to challenge you to be praying for the faith of the next generation.
4: That was awesome, by the way, to hear kids in the midst of a culture that's actually on fire and going a little crazy articulate their faith so well. I've been here all weekend. I love Northside. Honestly, I love Northside, and I appreciate and love and respect so much Nate's leadership here. This is a a great place, if you haven't figured that out, an amazing place, honestly, yeah. And it's an honor for me to be a part of uh, Entrusted. You know, when I saw that bottom side, life is a gift from God. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, even when we think about home, we have been entrusted to live out our life from Uh, from a God-honoring perspective in home, and no home is perfect. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Hey, does anybody know what the number 936 means? Anybody? I think about this number all the time. So here it is. From the day a baby is born until the time uh, that same baby is launched into adulthood, it's only 936 weeks. I mean, it's kind of remarkable how fast life goes. So this is James Stephen Ruiz. He's my grandson, and he's my oldest grandson, and he's named after me, and he's my namesake. And my heart, the day he was born, got wrapped around his heart, and today's seven, but that was when he was 936 weeks from becoming an adult. Today's seven, so he's got 568 weeks uh, left, and I love this kid. This is Emily. She's five. Anybody have a five year old connected to your life somehow? Um, five-year-olds are awesome. They're a little wild and crazy at times. She only has 676 weeks. Life went by fast for that family. This is Jeremy. Jeremy is 10. That means he's over halfway done. Can you imagine this, that a 10-year-old is over halfway done to becoming an adult? But that's the fact. It's going to go by fast for him. It's going to go by fast for his parents. Okay? And then this, of course, is the lovely Ashley. She's 17. She's 17. 52 more weeks and she's launched. She's not going to be ready to be launched. She's um, probably still going to say to her parents after she's launched, I'm an adult, but she's probably still going to have her parents paying for the cell phone and, you know, college or whatever. But life goes by fast. And some people see it in moments slow and others see it all the time fast. But the truth is, is that we're called to be entrusted with our life, with God, because it's a gift. And I love this scripture, and I think this scripture has really been meaningful to me in the last few months, really. And it goes like this. Teach us to number our days. It's actually a prayer, and it might be a prayer that you want to say today, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You want a heart of wisdom with your home, whether you're a student or whether you're the oldest people, person in this room. Well, it's a prayer. Teach us to number our days. When I see that thought, I realize I'm entrusted by God to make each day count, and to actually make each day count with my family. And I think that's kind of a message that we need to learn today. But life does go by fast. I want to show you a, a video that I was a part of helping create, and it's a, it's a video that reminds me how fast life goes by. Here, take a look at this. Thank you. I saw a few people wiping tears. You've experienced it or you're in the midst of experiencing something like that. It's just a phase but we've got to experience it all and we want to experience it all and we have to understand that God in all of his sovereignty and in his wisdom entrusts our home with us. That's amazing because we're his children and uh, it's quite an honor. Now I have a question for you. Does anybody know the name of your great 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 Grandparents, anybody in here? I see any hands, put it up. No, no one knows. Well, you know what, here's the truth, is that you actually sort of look like them, probably a different hairstyle, different clothes, but you sort of look like them. You inherited some of that. You inherited sickness. I inherited alcoholism, so I'm not an alcoholic, but my dad was an alcoholic, and my grandpa was an alcoholic, and my great-grandpa was an alcoholic, and my great-great-great-great-grandpa was an alcoholic, and so there's a biological predisposition toward that, and the fact is is that we are like our generations past. Kathy and I got married one week after college graduation and we both became Christians in a high school ministry, not at the same high school ministry, we lived in different parts of California, but we became Christians and we thought it was going to be easy and that one week after college graduation wedding uh, made it tough because we both came from dysfunctional families. Mine was alcoholism, hers was just a little crazy. And uh, (laughs) the first year I kept thinking about, can I leave, do we flee, what is going on? And we made a decision one year into it, and I wanna talk to you who maybe didn't come from a Christian legacy home. Uh, We made a decision where we would put two words together, transitional and generation. Because the Bible says that you inherit the sins of a previous generation to the third and fourth generations, all throughout the Bible. And it's really a sin bent. I wasn't an alcoholic and wasn't going in that direction. Kathy wasn't as crazy as the rest of the family, but we still have this issue going, see. And so we put a stake in the ground and we said, we are either going to recover or repeat those sins. And so Kathy and I made a decision right then and there, and I think it was one of the best decisions we've ever made in our life, besides making a commitment to Christ, besides uh, marrying each other, we decided we're going to recover instead of repeat. And I can't say that it's been easy, but it's been good. In fact, to quote Lilo and Stitch before I get into the Bible, that's a Disney uh, movie, this is my family. It may be small. It may be broken, but it's still good. Yeah, it, it's still good. That's how I feel about my family. So one day, my daughter, Christy, uh, to fast forward this illustration, she was 17 and uh, the oldest of our kids, and she was an amazing young woman, but she was driving us nuts right before she was going to go away to college because of her attitude. And she was in the kitchen talking to Kathy and actually really being intense with Kathy. I was in the living room, being the passive-aggressive father, just listening, but not really wanting to go into that room. And uh, there was a couple times she said something to Kathy, and I went, boy, that's true about your mom, but I would not say it. I wouldn't say that. (laughs) Finally, she escalated. I walked in, and I said, Christy, you need to go to your room. And I thought she was going to turn to me and go, mom's a little whacked out right now, but you're amazing. And instead, she turned on me. And I know, I write books on parenting, and I wanted to stab her with a rubber... Fork in the knee. She drove me nuts. And I said, "Cat, honestly, right now, Christy, you get to your room. I don't yell and scream. I just kind of give her the dad look, and she screamed. She screamed, but I didn't. She slammed the kitchen door. We have a sign that says, bless this house. It just went crooked. And we kind of left it crooked. Okay. So I followed her upstairs, and I said, Christy, I want to talk about your mom. A couple of things you said, it's true. So she's like, cool, dad's on my side. But I said, I never want you to talk to my wife like that again ever your mom my wife and it was like whoa I guess you are you were married to her aren't you yeah and I said your mom let's talk about her your mom has grown the most of anybody I know honestly and I mean that about my wife Kathy she started in what I'd call deficit land in dysfunction galore and I said and mom has grown so far because of her faith in Christ And mom and I made a decision long before you were a spark in our eye, and that was a little bit sarcastic at that moment. And I said, your mom took the burden of dysfunction, and she can either recover or repeat, and she chose to recover, and she's doing a great job recovering. She's not perfect, and I'm not perfect. But I said, Christy, the Bible says you inherit the sins of a previous generation to the third and fourth, she knew it. And I said, so mom starts here, And she goes to here so that somewhere, you can start someplace in the middle and you can go farther than mom and dad ever would. And we're watching this watch play out before our eyes because we we were able to change the trajectory for our three daughters. I have three daughters, no hormones or drama in our life, of course. Uh, But I, I wanna say that to you. When you understand that you're entrusted by God with your home, whether you're a student, again, or whether you're the oldest person in here, you still got a home, wherever you are. Like you said, it's not a, 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 we don't define home with an apartment or whatever. Home is where you are. And you're entrusted with that. And it's important for us to understand that in a big, big way, and we need to make each day count and each may, make each day count with our family. So, another question for you. What is the most often quoted scripture in the Bible? This should be easy. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. No. I just, it felt good saying this to you. You're offended. I'm so sorry, but I got the answer. You'll just, you keep listening. Another one. What is it? Psalm 23, a great scripture. I even thought about that one as, but you're wrong. Thank you for not being as dramatic as this guy. Right here. Joshua 24, 15, give it to me. I'm not even sure I know that one. Oh, oh, of course. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to say it's true because you're just a wonderful person compared to that guy, but you're wrong. Oh, no, you're saying she's not. Well, I'm not getting in a family feud right now, okay? You needed to be at the marriage conference on Friday. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans for you. Yeah, great, we could go on all day, but you're wrong. So I, I, actually, I actually know this, and it's kind of a trick question, because in every Orthodox Jewish home today, they said it when they got up. In every Orthodox Jewish home, they will say it tonight, and they have been saying it for past 4,000 years. It was written in Deuteronomy, but it was also orally talked about before that. And this scripture, which is called the Shema, the Shema, by the way, is in Hebrew. It just means to listen. It's the roadmap for the Hebrew people for their life and for their family. Please hear that because this is gonna be for us too because we've been entrusted with the Shema too. The Old Testament's you know, our testament too. And I want you to know this, Jesus, no doubt in my mind, Jesus heard this scripture before any other scripture because when a baby is born, typically it's the mom, sometimes it's the dad, but typically it's the mom, lifts the baby and quotes the Shema, obviously in Hebrew, um, to the baby. And so Jesus' first words that he would have heard from scripture was this incredible scripture. So let's look at this and let's see how it applies to our life. Now remember, in the Hebrew, and you're not gonna do this, but in the Hebrews, when they quote this, and they all know it by heart, but when they quote it, they stand because it's their holy of holies. So understand this, this is a big deal, okay? So let's take a look at the scripture. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. So in other words, what they're saying is, again, talk about putting a stake in the ground, loyalty and fidelity to God is what people stand for. And so really when you're looking at your priorities, loyalty and fidelity to God is what you want and it's also what you, what you want for your family, okay? So loyalty and fidelity to God. Okay, and we know that scripture. Again, John 3.16, by the way, is the one I would have probably said to. I still love you and you're okay, but uh, you, were just, you were just wrong, okay? We can talk later if you want to, if you want to beat me up. It goes on to say, and listen to this, these commandments that I give you today are to be written on your hearts, impress them on your children, that's actually the experience that you just had. I was thinking about those kids, and I was thinking about that film. And, you know, some of those kids are, what, 936. Now they're at 836. Some of them were, you know, still had some time. But really, truly, we're to impress. That's what baby dedication is about. We're, we're to impress them the words of God. We're to live it, impress. Live, impress. That's what we're called to do. We don't have to be perfect to do that. In fact, if you're perfect, you're the only one. Let's see. And so again, we're called to do that. And what this teaches us is how we transmit faith and love and we do it from the home. And so what's fascinating about it is a lot of us say, well, we do it at church. We do do it at church. That's the beauty of this church. It's an amazing church that cares deeply for families, cares deeply for kids. Look at how articulate those kids were. But it's not where it begins. It begins in the home and it begins intentionally in the home. And so what you're doing here is you're, you're transmitting faith. When people say they become Christians, a lot of them don't say it was at a crusade. Many don't say it was at church. Many say it was from family. It was a praying grandma. It was a mom or a dad. By the way, the most influential person research says in a child's life is mom. And dads, were second. We need to kind of strengthen it a little bit. We could do a little better job, okay? Grandmas and grandpas are next. It's not the church. Then friends and peers, then the church. So again, we're called to live it out, impress it on our children. But it even tells us how to do it, see. This is the Holy of Holies. This makes sense. Look at this scripture. Talk about it when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So what's fascinating about that, and keep the scripture up, what's fascinating about that is we're to talk about it at home. Christ is welcomed in our home God is welcomed in our home and it goes on to say uh, when you walk along the road that's when we drive because they didn't have cars when you lie down right before you go to bed when you get up so you're bringing Christ into the home uh, this is sometimes confusing to some of us because are we supposed to you know, turn our home into a monastery not necessarily but we do want to welcome God. And it actually goes on to say, tie them as symbols on your hands, which means take God to work, bind them on your foreheads, which means take God into your mind. It goes on to say, and I love this little section right here, and it's the last part of it. It says, write them on the doorframes of your houses and on your gates. We don't do that, but Jews do. I've got some friends in Israel right now and in every hotel that they are in, no doubt, at every door, there's something called a mezuzah. And you can Google me and kind of learn the mezuzah thing. It's kind of cool. But we have a mezuzah in our house. We're not Jewish. We don't have a Jewish background, but we just think it's a cool thing. And it's a symbol on the home of every Jew. And it would have been on the home of Jesus and before Jesus, But it was this mezuzah, and inside, every mezuzah is the Shema. And so, it's pretty powerful, right? And again, this kind of instructs us us how to understand how we are entrusted by God to live out faith in the home. Now, Jesus, I mentioned. So, he would have seen this. It would have been his big deal. But, you know, he was always being tested. And so, 30 years later, from the time Mary would have, you know, cradled him and, and spoke the Shema to him, He was being tested. People were always trying to get to him. And so this scripture is found in in Matthew and it may be more familiar to you. And it says at the beginning, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Well, they all had the same commandment of the law that was the greatest. It was the Shema. So depending on how Jesus answered that, they were gonna decide if Jesus was one of them. And he answered it correctly. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And they kind of went, oh. Well, this is maybe a little confusing because he must be one of us because he's answering it like we all do. It goes on to say, this is the first and greatest commandment. So they all went, okay, well, you know, he answered it right. But then Jesus did something remarkable. And you see this all the time in scripture. Jesus did something radical. He, he changed the Shema. And this next part isn't in the Deuteronomy. It's actually in Leviticus 19.3. He would have known it by heart of course, and he said this, and this is what we call the Jesus Creed, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. All these commandments are wrapped up uh, together here. So it says all the law and prophets hang in these two commandments. So how do you live your life? How do you live your family's life? For us, we actually have what's called the Jesus Creed. We have it in our, you know, in our home, And we tried to teach our kids the Jesus Creed. Love God, love your neighbor as you'd love yourself, okay? I mean, it's kind of simple, it's not easy, right? It's how we relate to each other in the home, it's how we relate to others, how we live out our life, how we live out our faith. I have a friend named John Ortberg and he has this phrase and I have it in my office and it says, love God and do the right thing. I think that kind of sums up what we're talking about. Love God, do the right thing, I only add and then repeat daily for the rest of your life. Love God, do the right thing, and then repeat daily for the rest of our life. Not saying it's easy. So two quick points out of this. Number one is discipleship happens intentionally from the home. When we think of discipleship, sometimes we think of church. Sometimes we think, some of you might have grown up in a church where there was catechism and some of that, and that part of that discipleship. Yeah, that is discipleship, but the fact is, is that according to this scripture, we impress it on our children, we. Impress it on our children. Discipleship happens intentionally from the home. There's a scripture in 2 Timothy 2.2 that says, And the things that you have heard me say, Paul speaking, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others also. That pretty much backs it up. What I've learned, now I'm going to teach to my kids. I'll have to do it at age appropriate. Now, we started in our family. We didn't do devotion. We weren't from a Christian home, so we didn't know how to do this stuff. And it was awkward. And, you know, then we'd we'd have tension in the home or there'd be emotion or, you know, drama or whatever, and then we're going to do family devotions, right? So we started doing family devotions kind of later. Our kids were nine, seven, and five. And uh, so I would do them. And we tried to keep it to about 20 minutes because we thought these were young kids. They don't want to do it for very long. KISS stands for keep it short and simple. And uh, so I would speak for 20 minutes, and then the kids would be bored, and we would pray, and I would tell them to quiet down, and we would be done, and they didn't like family devotions. Finally, Kathy, one day, said to me, and you know, spouses have a way of doing this so well, but said, no offense to you, but you know, they're hating the family devotion stuff. You know, I got a doctorate, okay? So, I know Greek, I know Hebrew. And she said, well, I, I know you do, but you're, you're killing us here, buddy. So I said, fine you'd you be in charge so that night she said hey guys we're going to do a a play she doesn't say family devotions and she literally brings out chocolate and red vine licorice that's cheating because the kids are like awesome so chocolate red vines and uh, she goes we're going to do a play choose the play she brings out a bible story book and so the nine-year-old christy she moves to the first page it's adam and eve we'll do this one and then they get in a fight because nobody wants to be Adam. I mean, they're little kids. They are girls. They don't want to be a boy. And finally, I just said, look, Christy, you are Adam. You're older than the rest. And she goes, can I draw a mustache? I went, I'm sure he had a mustache. Absolutely, you can draw a mustache. Later, we found out it was a permanent marker mustache, which was a problem for the next day at school, but another story. <laughs> then we have the other two, and they get in an argument because they both want to be Eve. They didn't want to be, no one wanted to be the snake. They said, dad could be the snake. So, Nate, I, I want to apologize because I, I, I tweaked the Bible. Just, just, I knew I was tweaking it when I did it, so forgive me. But what happened was I said, okay, Rebecca, you are Eve, and Heidi, you are Yvette, Eve's little sister. <laughs> Kathy goes, that's not in the Bible. I go, I know, but we're desperate, and we need to get rid of this you know, as I'm eating another chocolate and eating some red vines. So they go into the Truth booth. Christy comes out, she's in a flowered shirt. I said, why are you dressed like that with her ridiculous mustache, and she said, you know, Garden of Eden. I mean, Hawaii, in her mind, is, you know, the Garden of Eden, so she's dressed like a Hawaiian hula dancer, kind of. Well, speaking of Hawaiian hula dancers, Heidi comes out at five. She is in a Hawaiian hula dancing skirt that we had bought when she was three. She's now five, so it doesn't fit her, but you can see her pink panties right here, and she has two coconuts just dangling right there. So... So I do what any loving father would do for a five-year-old is I went to put the coconuts back in the strategic spot. And at that point, one is on the shoulder and now one is going past her knee. And she says, is it time? And I said, time for what? She goes, I'm supposed to do a dance. I'm going, I'm sure Eve's little sister did a dance. So she did the little lao and she did this thing. And then we clapped and she thought she was done with the whole deal. I'm like, this is really spiritual, Kathy. You're doing like awesome here. As I'm eating another chocolate. Rebecca comes out. She's kind of our defensive child, and she has no clothes on whatsoever. She is stark naked, and she just stands like this with her hands on her hip and waits for us to say something. So I said, well, tell us about what you're uh, not wearing. And she said, it's right here in the Bible. Eve didn't have any clothes on. That's true. But if you ever do this at church... This play, you need to wear clothes. I mean, she even has like leaves and strategic spots on her, okay? So, you know, they acted out the play and it was it was good. But you know what? It changed our family's lives. Because we started doing 20 minutes a week. I'm not saying a day. I'm not saying we were doing heavy Bible study or looking in the Greek or the Hebrew. What we did was we started realizing it was our job to do that. And it worked. Yeah. Not perfect, but it worked. And the kids then, as they got older, they kind of took over some of it. And again, it was, it was fun. It wasn't always spiritual. We had arguments in the middle of it at times. I mean, it just, it wasn't perfect. But it was bringing the love of God into the home. You do your best you can. So another part of this idea of discipleship is that we are responsible for teaching morals and values. So when you think, yeah, we wanna teach the stories of the scripture and we wanna teach principles of the scripture in the home, but we also wanna teach morals and values. We're all uptight about what's going on in our culture. We should be, it's nuts. But some of us don't do anything, but sometimes we complain. I I wanna ask you a question. How many of you received good, positive, healthy sex education from your parents when you were growing up? Put your hands up. One, two, three, this is not good. (laughs) After Entrusted, Nate's doing a series on sex education for adults because you all are in trouble, okay? I can see about five hands. Amazing. Well, here's the the deal. All research says this, that the more positive value-centered sex education kids receive from home from their parents or grandparents, the less promiscuous they'll be and the less confused they'll be. But it doesn't happen. It didn't happen with you. So we need to change that and help our next generation be less promiscuous and less confused, not by preaching and lecturing at them, but by bringing morals and values. And I'm not just talking about sex education. See, that's our job. Is it awkward? Sure, it's going to be awkward. My daughter said, Dad, you speak on this to students all over the country, and when you start talking to us about it, your bald head sweat and your ears turn red, and you (laughs) stutter. I get it. But that's what we're called to do. So, secondly, discipleship happens after or when parents and grandparents lead. I was talking to a woman yesterday at the, at the parenting seminar, and I said, you know what, you, you can't be her best friend. You gotta lead. And lead doesn't mean to be angry and to be, you know, you know, all screaming and yelling. It just means lead. How do we lead? Well, here's good news: you lead with integrity. In fact, the Bible says that whoever walks with integrity walks securely, and I think kids who will be secure will have parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and Sunday school teachers and anybody else who are people of integrity. Integrity just means to be authentic, to be real. And that's what we're called to do. Be integrity, to to, to have integrity if you're married, with your marriage, have integrity with what you do. Secondly, we're called to lead with margin. You know, I think one of the biggest problems in America is this breathless pace in which we live our lives. You go, that's a part of being entrusted you know, to to live our homes the way God would want us? Yeah, I think we've got to be careful with that. In fact, a friend of mine named John Mark Comer, who actually Nate reminds me of, he's a young pastor doing great things. He's in Portland, Oregon. But he has in one of his books, he says this, hurry is a form of violence to your soul. And what I find is that overly busy families are often broken families. And overly busy families Families have broken marriages sometimes, and sometimes we're not connecting because we're overcommitted and underconnected because we're just so busy. Somebody once said to me, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I know that when I am busy, then things don't go as well. You had a, you had a message on being dangerously tired, and a lot of you would have resonated with that because we're just so tired spinning all the plates, Right? I have three questions that I ask myself and I pretty much know if I'm too busy, I don't answer them very well. One is, do I like the person I'm becoming? Do you like the person you're becoming? Because a lot of times we don't like the person we're becoming if we're just too busy, see. Secondly, is the work of God I'm doing destroying the work of God in me? Another way of saying it is, is my heart for God growing or shrinking? I find that my heart shrinks when I'm busy. Even sometimes when it's kind of successful, if you would say. But that's a good question to ask yourself a lot. Again, maybe you're, maybe you're having trouble with margin. And then the last one is the one for me, the biggie. Am I only giving my family my emotional scraps? Am I only giving my wife my emotional scraps? Because if I'm so busy that I'm giving scraps to Kathy and I'm not giving scraps to you, what is that all about? See, but it's because I'm too busy. Now I'm not saying we all move to Montana and live in a, you know, a, a commune. I'm saying we figure it out here and now. I was speaking at the Promise Keepers Pastors Conference a few years back in uh, Diamondback Stadium in Arizona. And I was talking to a man named Jack Hayford who is a total hero in my life and he was the master of ceremonies. And I said, Jack, what's the secret to your leadership success? This is a pastor of a mega church. He's on television. He writes books. He's the president of a university. He um, is the president of his denomination. So well, what's the secret to your leadership success? And he said, you know, Jim, I had to say no to good things, to say yes to the most important things. I said, well, Jack, help me understand what are the most important things? He said, it's my relationship with God, it's my relationship with my wife. He just lost his wife to, uh, to, you know, she died. He's in his 80s. It's my children, it's my grandchildren. He named his children and grandchildren. You know, he had this perspective. I don't even know if he knew he was telling me that perspective. He'd been entrusted by God with a lot of things and a lot of beautiful responsibilities, but nothing more important than his right relationship with God and his right relationship with his family. I think we lead from an eternal perspective, thirdly. And when we do that, it's what this series is about being entrusted. So we're entrusted with our home and we lead from an eternal perspective. Hey, home is hard. You know, we work like crazy, and then it's Thursday night, we get the kids to bed, if you have uh, kids, and then you go, whoa, we got to do this again tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. I get it. But can we take a step back and lead with the eternal perspective? Would we make some different parenting decisions? Would we make some different grandparenting decisions? Would we make, as students, some different decisions to prepare us for family and home? I think we would. My dad was not a believer, and he became a believer at the end of his life, in his 80s, of all things. And uh, he, he fell on a walker accident and broke his hip. And I was in the hospital with dad talking with the doctor because he said, Bob, I can, his name is Bob, I can, I can fix your hip. We can, we can do your hip. But if we do your hip, I'm afraid you wouldn't get back up. And so if you can't get up, you're going to die of like pneumonia or something else. And my dad said, I want the hip fixed. I went, okay. He said, okay. So they fixed the hip, took him into convalescent care, and he never got up. So he... He was there and he was going into hospice, had moved into hospice. They said he probably had about two weeks to go. They'd taken him off of every, all the activities and whatnot. I mean, he had a bedpan. And it's just me and dad and I said to dad, I said, dad, um, how's it going? And he goes, it, it's going good, I'm, I'm, going, I'm doing well. And then at this point, a lady comes in and goes, it's time for physical therapy. And I'm like, well, that's not gonna go well. You can't even get up. And, uh, She's looking at the chart and she says, so let's, let's do physical therapy, Bob, come on. And so Bob, my dad, starts to try to get up and I go to grab him and she goes, whoa. She looks down, oh, oh, hospice, okay, never mind. Well, she doesn't know what to say and so she looks at dad and his hairstyle and she looks at me and my hairstyle and she said, you guys must be related. You're both, you know, handsome young men. I'm not sure she said that. <laughs> and my dad said, yeah, this is my son Jimmy and I'm proud of him. And at that point, Jimmy, in his 50s at that point, my eyes welled up with tears because my dad said he was proud of me. And then he said, and I'm proud of Bob and Bill and Ron. These are my brothers. And at first I was like, I understand you being proud of the youngest son. I mean, of course, all youngest <laughs> children are you know, thinking they should have pride, but my brothers, they messed up. What do you mean? And then I thought, how like God. He went on to say, and I'm looking forward to this woman, I'm looking forward to being with God soon. <laughs> He said, I have no regrets. I thought, wait, I have regrets? So she leaves, but she touches me on the shoulder and said, you are blessed to have a dad like that. And I was at the end of his life. So I wanted to give him another chance to throw the brothers under the bus, so I said, Dad, (laughs) you said you were proud of us. And he said, I am. I'm so proud of you, Jim, and I'm proud of Bob and Ron and Bill. And again, I thought, how like God. And then, and then, I said, dad, you said you had no regrets. I mean, dad made some decisions in life that, weren't, that were not regretful. And he said, well, that's more your business, me being in ministry, than, than me, but Jesus forgave my sins, right? And because he forgave my sin, why would I regret? And at the end of my dad's life, all he was thinking about was a right relationship with God and a right relationship with his loved ones. He had his priorities straight. He might not have even known the Shema, but that's what he was doing. What I want to say to you, is God loves you, and he's proud of you. He has a picture of you in his wallet. You're his child. Sam said a scripture about that. And so I want you to know at the end of this, as we understand that we're entrusted, you don't have to do this on your own. He entrusts you with your home, but he entrusts you with your home, but he promises to come alongside of you and says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so if you've got some family stuff going on, know that, There's nothing more important than a right relationship with God and a right relationship with your loved ones. So today, let's be inspired to do all that we can to understand that being entrusted means that we're going to ask God to help us to be the family people that we can be. And we're going to ask him for the power and the strength to do that. Almighty God, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for this church, amazing church. Thank you for the fact that you have spoken to us about our family, how fast time goes. 936 weeks for kids, wow. And Lord, help us make each day count. And Lord, if there's something we need to do or be when it comes to family, help us to to do that, to be that person and give us the strength. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, Amen. amen. Hey, by the way, as we leave and go out, if you've got a loved one or you're going to go pick up one, go give them a hug. But also, if you would like prayer or you'd like to connect with somebody, you've got the living room out there, and uh, I'll stay up here and talk to anybody too. Thank you for being here today. God bless you. See you.